don't think it's funny. When? <laughs> when? No, sorry. you didn't. You didn't pick up in the middle of Dalton's review. Although that might be a flashback later. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, we might be able to cut back to that in a moment. I don't think it's funny when cops play Russian roulette with people they're interrogating. No, as a rule. Really? Um, I think it's okay. And uh, what's that one movie? Is it the Nice Guys where somebody tries to like hide the bullet up their sleeve and accidentally puts it back in the gun? Oh, I don't know. Either no, a cop out. It wasn't the Nice Guys. Yeah, or uh, the other guys. Maybe. Is like it's the a other big Russian roulette or... scene in the Deer, deer Hunter. Hunter. But that yeah. one's straight. Yeah. That one's played very straight. Yeah. <laughs> there's no chuckles. Yeah. There, there's one where uh, I think it's the other guys with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark Wahlberg. Yeah. But yeah, it, yeah. it could be um, Cop Out, the Kevin Smith mm. movie. Yeah. With but yeah. The... Somebody tries to do the Russian roulette, but they hide the bullet, and then they uh, they accidentally <laughs> put the bullet back in, and only the perp sees it. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of good. But again, other than that one, as a rule, I don't think fan. it's funny not, when not... law enforcement professionals point guns at people and make them go click. Right, and, and threaten to shoot off their genitalia. Well, you know, that's I think it's hilarious anytime somebody's genitalia is threatened. That's why I like <laughs> the glorious bastards. I've got to show you another video. Oh, God. Oh, okay. Oh, my. Well, <laughs> hello, everybody. Welcome to the Good Trash Dottercast, where we will not watch that video, but we will discuss the films that you'll discuss, never discuss in your film studies course. And this is the last new movie we'll be discussing. This is the end. Merry Christmas, everybody. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so we give you heat for Christmas. Um, if you're cold, yes, you'll appreciate right. it. Much, much like, uh, much like a uh, Las Vegas uh, cowboy, I, too, can give you the heat for Christmas. <laughs> Well, there's an article before heat. It's the heat. Uh, the heat. The definite article. I'm giving you the heat, which I think is actually almost more skeezy. Uh, <laughs> Hard to say. <laughs> I'm still Dustin. I'm still Arthur. I'm not still Dalton. I'm I'm working on a new handle, but uh, I'll have to get back to you on that. Okay. Um, do do. What do you us... think about white lightning? <laughs> Spelled Y T. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Y T. Yeah. Of course. Um, appropriate. Uh, <laughs> If you're tuning in the show for the very first time, we want to warn you, this is not a review show, it's an analysis show, and that does mean we're going to spoil the film. And so, uh, if you don't know how the heat ends, um, and it ends with warmth, it ends with nothing but warmth. Um, but if you want to want to know about that, uh, this is uh, this is my warning to you now, to let you know how the show is going to play out, because you can listen to the first few minutes of the show to get an idea as to whether or not you want to see it, or go ahead and proceed into spoiler territory with us. So it looks like this. We'll have a synopsis, which will be spoiler-free. We'll have our thumbs-up, thumbs-down reviews, which will, uh, again, just like any other movie review, we'll talk some plotty things, but will not spoil the main secrets of the film, if it has any secrets. And then we will move into a little game we like to call Expanding the Syllabus, which might involve the vaguest of spoilers, more likely spoilers of films in its orbit. If there wasn't already a podcast called Galaxy Brains, we would say that's the segment where we get a little galaxy brain with it. Yes. Um, and then finally, we get down to business, and that business is analysis. They'll be kicking music to let you know that that's going to happen. So you have been warned, my friends. Now, without any further ado, Mr. Arthur Gordon, do you have a synopsis for us today of The Heat? A stiff, headstrong federal agent meets her match when she is forced to partner with an edgy, against-the-grain Boston detective as the two try to bring down a drug lord who chops up anyone who crosses them. Now, why are we talking about this movie again? It's part of a marathon. <gasps> That's right. What is that marathon, Arthur? It's the Buddy Marathon, where we've been looking at buddy movie, buddy cop movies, buddy road movies we, we couldn't all find month long. Yeah, we couldn't find four that all took place at Christmas, so the middle two were Christmas movies. Yeah. <laughs> so here we are. And ladies can be buddies, too. That's yeah. what we discovered. And that's what Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy and Sandra Bullock have assembled to teach us. Yes. L ladies be buddies. Ladies be buddies, which is good. Um, I actually had an entire conversation with a three-year-old when I said, oh, you're my buddy today. She goes, I'm your daughter. And I'm like, you can be my daughter and my buddy, but I'm a girl. You can be my buddy still. <laughs> girls can be buddies. But girls can be buddies, because I'm a dude, she's a dude, he's a dude, we're all dudes. We're all dudes, dude. Yeah. So. Um, is it a missed opportunity for Melissa McCarthy to not do a ridiculous Boston accent in this movie? Yeah. Probably. Okay, so just yeses. All yeah. right, well, there you have it. Didn't have to do it, yeah. Bill Burr did, though. I mean, Bill Burr's got to do one. <laughs> yeah. Did you see Bill Burr uh, trade uh, Boston for Oki and Res Reservation Dogs this year? Uh, I did not. He does a pretty compelling Oki accent. Really? Yeah, I've not gotten he, through he Reservation Dogs. He understands how those kinds of guys are the same guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Interesting. Anyway. Well, yes. there you go, dear friends. Uh, we are already talking about the extreme supporting cast. Um, letting you know, um, we have so much to say about this film. With that being said, uh, let's go ahead and do our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Are there any virgin watchers besides myself? 
Uh, all of us. All of us are virgins. Well, I go to you first, then Arthur, because you raised your hand, uh-huh. and that means you get picked. Yay. Just like school. Um, <laughs> well, it's a comedy uh, that has got a buddy aspect to it, so <laughs> you know what you're getting. <laughs> it, it does what it says on the tin. <laughs> it is. Snakes on a plane. <laughs> yes. Uh, there are uh, two people uh, of, of differing characters. Uh, personality traits and they have to come together to work through their problems so we've we've seen it um i i don't know that there's anything new here <laughs> being done other than the fact that it is two women i mean that's really kind of the thing about it I right mean, are there any other female buddy movies mm-hmm. cop or otherwise prior to this i don't i don't know yeah. i mean i was thinking about this earlier we might get in this later but you know i i think of obviously fig and female-led comedies and it just wasn't really a thing anyway yeah and this kind of action element to it i think really kind of opened up maybe new opportunities and groundwork for that to happen. It's easy to forget, like, Bridesmaids is kind of groundbreaking because it is, it is <clears throat> just how big of a deal it was when yep. it came out because it had been such a dearth of female-led comedies yeah, for decades. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, you know, taking that out of the equation, this is a movie, You're, I think it's one you're either, if, you, if you're if you you're a Sandra Bullock fan, you're a Melissa McCarthy fan, you're probably really going to enjoy it. Uh, if you like that kind of comedy, toilet comedy, You'll you'll probably get a kick out of this. If that's not your bag, you're probably going to dismiss this. It, it's not doing anything really new. McCarthy's doing a McCarthy thing. Sanders playing a very straight laced, uh, uptight federal agent, uh, and so it's really. I mean, all there is to it. It, it. I don't feel like it's doing anything special. You know, visually, I, I think Fig's a good director. I think he manages everything well. I think this is maybe a little long. It's right at two hours, and we watched the unrated edition, but Which I think even the theatrical minutes. cuts right at. Like just like three minutes shy of two hours or something. So there's not a lot of difference there. Uh, I laughed a few times. There were some good lines. Uh, there was some good physical humor here and there. I, you know, this is a, a Saturday afternoon movie for me. I, I'm not opposed to watching it. Um, I'm probably going to come in a little warmer on it than Dalton after seeing his letterbox review. Uh, but, I mean, it is what it is. Spoilers. Yeah. I, I just think, you know, if you, you you know what you're getting with this, uh, and so if you if you like this brand of comedy, you'll probably be into it. But it doesn't really feel like it's doing anything new. Also, kind of reads weird in a post, uh, uh, I guess twenty twenty nineteen era with police, uh, which is kind of weird. You know, it, it comes out pre twenty fifteen even, so that yeah. that almost helps it a little bit. Yeah. But God, even twenty thirteen, it feels pretty tone deaf. Yeah. And so that's a thing, and it is doing this thing where it's like it's pointing at problematic tropes that we're familiar with. Mm-hmm. With uh, there's an albino character, and it kind of points that out that that's a negative. Usually, neg- I mean, we had one in Lethal Weapon, right? Where that was, oh yeah, where he's a villain, yeah. Uh, and they kind of point out that that trope, but then they still make the albino character the butt of a bunch of jokes. Like it's, it's having it's, it's trying to have its cake in these yeah. two. I think it's like, haha, isn't it cool that we didn't make this? person So we acknowledge this thing. No, but, you're still being ableist. Yeah, yeah. and then we're yeah, gonna yeah, shoot yeah. him in the head. Yeah, yeah. Spoilers. Uh, you, you already spoiled the movie. Did I? You just spoiled the movie. What's Uh-oh. that guy's name that plays uh, that character? It is... Uh, Todd. I just had it pulled up here. Uh, Dan Bacadal. Uh He's great. Yeah, he's, he's, he's hilarious. Funny. An excellent comedy character actor. Yeah, he's, uh, we were watching... Like, who is that? He's in Life in Pieces, though. If you've ever seen that show, it's great. Uh, but he he's is he's everything. really funny. Yeah, so. got a great recurring role on Veep. Uh, had a had a short stint on Community as well. Yeah, yeah great guy. But yeah, I mean, there are some fun. I mean, Tony Hale has a brief moment. Caitlin oh, Olsen yeah. gets a brief moment. Uh, so there's some fun. Nathan Cordry, Bill Burr, uh, Taron Killam, um, Marlon Wayans, kind of playing a straight character. Yeah, which is, fun, which is quite not, a cool. Yeah, I would have liked more jokes yeah. from him, but it's fun to see him get to play the the straight man in a couple yeah. Of scenes. Yeah, so I appreciate that he doesn't become the larger love interest and they kind of go that way with it, mm-hmm. but I would have liked to see more from him because I, I like this more serious take that he's doing, Yeah, which is kind of a nice you're right turn to highlight adventure. The ca- you're right to highlight the cast, though. I mean, they've got yeah. a bunch of heavy hitters to show up. Yeah, so that, that's, that's where I'm at. I, I, I think it's a solid... Um, comedy afternoon movie all right thank you very much for that arthur well we've already teased your letterbox well i gotta hear it dalton i had what to, you... i had to go find out what my letterbox review was what? <laughs> we had a production delay so that, it's been a while the hottest of the hot take now that the hot take has cooled, do you feel the same uh well my hot take on the letterbox was i don't know what i expected but i just assumed it would work better than it does uh which yeah that's still about how i feel uh, i haven't i haven't really <laughs> i haven't really changed from that I'm with Arthur. It's it's classic Sandy Bullock. It's classic Melissa McCarthy. They're they've got great chemistry. I like them together. I don't know what's missing. There's something. There's some X factor that this movie just doesn't have. And I don't know if it's 
maybe it would have been funnier for Sandra Bullock to play the wild one and Melissa McCarthy to be the you know the straight edged yes, one. Yes, please. Right, like there's something just off. The alchemy here is not right, and I can't. I still can't like really put a finger on what isn't that's not working for me because they are both very charming. They really are, and, and I think every scene they have together works. It just doesn't always work from a comedy standpoint. Like it's it's funny sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the scene where they go to the club and Melissa McCarthy's trying to like turn her business outfit into a, a club outfit. That's pretty good. Like they have good bits. They have good mm-hmm. shtick together. But that's like the the joke that is like firmest in my mind. And that's like middle of the movie. I can't believe there's not any other bits that like really stand out to me. The 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 bit in the morgue gets me where they're uh, they got the body humor with the the tongue and the the butt. <clears throat> That's right. The, yeah. tongue, the, the tongue and cheek thing is the tongue is and cheek cute. is really funny. Yeah. Yes. So there, you know, yeah, but yeah, like you said, there aren't a lot of standout comic moments. Yeah, I and it, I don't know if it's there's not enough like set piece gags or there's just not enough banter. But like the banter's not very good. It is mostly just Melissa McCarthy swearing at everybody, which is pretty funny. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're not wrong when you let <laughs> Melissa McCarthy off the chain as far as f words go. Like she's a, she's a wizard. She knows how to deploy them. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not going to undercut I, who I think is. A queen of bad comedies. Unfortunately, she has made a lot of bad choices in her career. But I think, like, what's that one where she plays a, a really mean, like, media mogul? The Boss? Is that what it's yeah, called? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, That yeah. one's like, I like that one. I like I, Spy. Spy's really good. I like Spy a lot. Yeah. Uh, so I'm, I'm a Melissa McCarthy fan. I think she's, was that, Can You Ever Forgive Me? Holy yeah. shit, that's a good movie. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so again, I'm just, I'm just trying to clarify my, my bona fides as a fan of both of these actors before I say, yeah, I don't, I don't like this movie. I can't imagine ever watching this again. I think it's pretty cringy. Uh, and again, it, it, sure, there's some 2021 eyes going on here, but even in 2013, I can see watching this going, what are they doing? And maybe it's just, I don't know, maybe it's, it's harder to laugh at the police than it used to be. I don't know. I don't know what it is. There's plenty. There's a long and storied history of cop comedy, and we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But this is just not one that like gets high marks for me. Uh, as we said, the supporting cast is fun. You know, Caitlin Olson's bit's really good. That's uh, that's one of the standouts for me. Is the three of them together is is a really fun shtick. But there's just uh, did I pass? Did, I, I tried to remember Dustin's six laugh rubric as I was watching this, but I didn't think about it till late in the movie. Uh, I think it just barely got to five and a half, six out loud laughs. To be fair, I watched it by myself, which is never the ideal situation for comedy. But it just, it didn't really connect with me for whatever reason. Uh, the RPG in the fridge, that's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty good gag. Um, but there, there is just something missing here for me, and uh, I can't quite put my finger on it. You have raised a question that must be answered, though. What's that? What does a half of a laughed out loud sound like? It's more of a chortle. Is it is a snort? <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so it could be a seizure, could be a laugh. We don't know. Yeah, it could have been like uh, some phlegm caught in a weird yeah, hiccup, maybe yeah, yeah. <laughs> a blob of mustard, a bit of uh... yeah. <laughs> a little too much dairy. Hard to uh, say. Cheese doesn't uh, go bad. Uh, uh, you know, I, I also just wonder. You mentioned Spy Arthur, and I feel like that's a movie that, as far as the action elements of it go, are fairly well directed. I don't feel like Paul Feig is like really in command of the camera here, you know. I and again, not to be too auteur theory about it, but you know, Spy is a action comedy, and I feel like it equips itself pretty well as far as doing interesting things. I don't remember a single moment of this being like, "Oh, well, that was cool." Mm-hmm. Like, I don't remember like any filmmaking choices that made me go, "That's no, fine. no." And, you know, on, I'm sure on the set, like his job was more when to improvise, when to stay on script. But still, you, you just kind of hope, especially as an action comedy, you hope for a little bit more in the filmmaking than, than I think we get here. Dustin, you're also a first-time viewer, as, yes. as we all were. Um, wh- wh- where are you? Are you between Arthur and I? or So, I mean, the greatest crossover event of all time, the um, combining of Miss Congeniality and The Departed, um, seems I, like... Right! Uh, right! Seems like, on paper, a great idea. Exactly. You blind cast it with uh, two uh, great actresses. You know, and uh, but this is one of those instances when blind casting doesn't work. It, the reason what, what makes bl- now I don't I don't think this is blind cast at all for the record. Oh yeah, uh, this, this is. I'm the, sure they were like, let's do a movie together. Yeah, absolutely. And the came to them, but look, I mean, you think about it. You know, you're gonna do a buddy cop movie, and you're gonna find strong comedic chops. You know, and good. You know, people have gravitas and charisma on screen. All the stuff that you need to make it all work. You're gonna put these two actors together, and then you sort of remark the script to make those interesting racial and or gender choices work. And this movie is still just a dude cop movie 
just with two ladies playing the dudes. Yeah, they've got a couple of gags that are, you know, the Spanx gag is very female centric. The, the Spanx gag, well, I mean, and the, the whole uh, miscongeniality bit about you know doing her up pretty. You yeah, know, sure. I mean, we've done that before, yeah. uh, playing straight against sort of a, a barbarian. We've done that before in Demolition Man. I mean, I've seen all these Sandra Bullock movies done before in other ways, and it it just it just. There were so many opportunities, that, and we were talking about this earlier, that just were not met. You know, yes, let's have the albino character in here, and then not do that thing. But they, again, like you were saying, have their cake and eat it too. And it did not pass the six laugh test. I think I laughed twice. I wasn't really counting, but I'm pretty sure twice is about right. Um, I laughed some. It was funny. I was kind of amused the whole time. But, yeah. Uh, no belly laughs, really. N- nothing. Nothing. You know? And, uh, it, I mean, it's fine. It's fun. I mean, I can't say I, I hated myself the whole time and, yeah. you know, or anything like that, but um, I didn't need to, you know, prescribe myself antidepressants or anything. But, that being said, it just didn't work. I can't. I saw a quote this week um, and I can't remember who for life of me said it, but it's something to the effect of maybe it was a Kaufman quote. It's either a filmmaker or a critic. Somebody's got this quote that's like, every movie spent is hours you don't get back. Good or bad, anything in between, it's still time that you had to invest, and that's gone. That, that time's into the ether. And yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you. I didn't get like mad at the two hours lost at this movie, but I definitely thought, well, I probably could have done my laundry. Right. Or, you know, there are other things I could have done besides watch a movie in those two hours. Yeah, there's more I could have gotten from this. And yeah. that's that's bad. When a movie makes you question watching movies in general, I don't not 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 that it's that bad. Maybe I'm right. being a little too hard on it. But. Well, that and there is a uh, small C kind of tear jerkery kind of moment uh, towards the end of the film that we might talk about a little bit later that mm. seemed a bit unearned. I I will we'll we'll, we'll, okay. we'll address that okay. maybe more later. I don't want to get too specific about okay. it. Um, it did kind of tear me up just because I got issues. But um, yeah. that being said, as I thought about it afterwards, like I don't know that the movie deserved that moment. You know, with the mm-hmm. uh, interaction between those two characters, and uh, so I'm I'm not I'm not convinced. Yeah, I, I'm willing to be convinced, but at this point, I'm like, eh, no. So for my money, yeah, there are funny bits. Melissa Carthy off the chain is excellent. Uh, I always like that Sandra Bullock doing Sandra Bullocky stuff. I'm I'm there for it, and it's not a waste of time, but it's not terribly funny, and it seems to be aware of things and then just sort of points out awareness without any engagement. I did write down the line, pumpkin, stay away from the weird lady. That's pretty good. That's good. That is funny. That's such a funny bit. Uh, Guess she... <clears throat> oh, go ahead. Pet, be, befriends the neighbor's pet, and I think that's a, a funny that's thing That's so funny. That's well, so funny. And wrongful then... incarcer- incarceration of a man for serial killing somebody... Not yeah, funny. Weird subplot that just like gets brought up and totally dismissed. Yeah. Uh, very, very odd like character development moment for Sandra Bullock. Yeah. Uh, not sure about that. I do like Chris Gethard showing up for literally one and a half lines. The I like the way your shorts make me feel in my shorts. <laughs> then, oh, God. I'm sorry. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> yeah. So good. It's good. All right. Well, I think there's enough of that foolishness. Let's get on down to uh, expanding the syllabus, which is uh, a thing that we like to do here, but I need to have it explained by Arthur. Expanding the syllabus is a thought experiment wherein we, the hosts, assemble academic course or module within a course based around the assigned viewing for the week and adjacent texts uh, from books and articles to tangentially related films and stories. Now, this is the difference between Arthur and I in a nutshell, which is we never know which of the two of us he's going to throw to us, throw to for that description. Arthur has a pre-written, very succinct, very clear and concise explanation of this this uh, segment. And, and Dalton has word diaries. Yeah, just word salading <laughs> my way through it. Absolutely. <laughs> I am a lawful something and you are a chaotic something. That's 100% accurate, yeah. We, Correct. We don't need to guess what the something is for either of us. <laughs> and I'm evil. Uh, anyway, so with that all being said, uh, let's get... Yeah, kick... you work for the church in an all medieval fantasy settings. <laughs> I've been led to believe that that's evil. Yes, yes. I've uh, never played a role-playing game where the church were good guys. <laughs> Now's your chance. <laughs> Now's your chance for redemption. For redemption. Father. Um, nah, I don't want him. Uh, moving on. Arthur, what's your syllabus looking like, pal? Yeah, I, I think here, I, I do want to look at the Paul Fagg thing of this. Um, because he is, I think, important to uh, the recent 
trend of of more female led comedies for for good or bad. I mean, kind of the the resurrection of studio comedies, yeah, in a big way. In a way, yeah. Uh, so I do want to start, I think, uh, by looking at Backwards and in Hills uh, by Alicia Malone, a mm, critic. Nice. Um, this is a book she's written, just kind of looking at the influential people, female filmmakers and women in film. Uh, but there's a chapter in there dedicated to men who helped, uh, focusing on J.J. Abrams and Paul Fagg. Hmm. I'm going to interrupt you just for a moment to tell the anecdote for Backward and Heels, because it's important to know. So Ginger Rogers uh, famously danced often with Fred Astaire, and someone said, what's it like dancing with Astaire? And it's like, why does do everything Astaire does, just backwards and in heels? Which is a good backhanded way of saying I'm quite a bit better. I'm much more talented than Fred, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, God, just... Ooh, the Bon Mots from that area uh, era of Hollywood. You just people talk the best shit back yeah. then. <laughs> That's good. So we love you, Ginger. Um, but I want to start there with that that at least that chapter. And I don't know what this this would probably be a module in some sort of class. I don't know if it'd be women in film or or something else. Mm-hmm. But uh, it may, I don't think it would be a full semester. Uh, but I do want to start there with that that chapter in that book and, and really look at the importance of allyship in making headway. Um, and and changes in diversity, uh, so I think that's where we would start. And Alicia Malone has a couple of books on women in film, and so I would recommend both of those. Um, so that's where we start. Then we'd go to heavyweights, and this is kind of an odd pick uh, because Fag is only starring or has a role in heavyweights as one of the counselors at the camp. Um, but it's going to kind of cement his time and place of coming up in an era with Apatow and Stiller and that school of comedy writers and directors and, and kind of placing where his, I think, sense of humor is geared from and towards by the people he was with and around and kind of shaping who he was. And it's just kind of a fun, oh, hey, Paul Feig's got a pretty heavy supporting role in this movie. Um, and then from there, we're going to do Bridesmaids uh, because you have to talk about Bridesmaids and Paul Feig and how... It was a groundbreaking comedy uh, when it came out. I mean, not only as a a just female leg comedy, but opening new groundwork. But we also get Academy Award nominations for Melissa McCarthy, and mm-hmm. I think maybe a couple of others for that film. And, and it was just a really big deal that I think has opened up room and a space for the studios to see. Okay, maybe there is a market for female led comedies. A woman. In a bridesmaid's dress, pooping in a sink is funny. Yes, this is this is just the science. I don't, I don't make the rules. It's science. That's comedy, baby. Yeah. Um, and so that's where we'd go. Then we'd also talk about spy and really focus in on Melissa McCarthy here. So I mean, these are going to they work so closely together that I think you kind of have to look at them together, Paul Fig and Melissa McCarthy. So spy, we're going to look at that. We're going to see what makes Melissa McCarthy, I think, work as a comedy actress when that works, when that doesn't work. Mm. Um, and then talk about maybe Fig as action director as well. And then we're going to go into Ghostbusters. We'll get to talk about that and, and everything that that movie came up against from a fandom standpoint and the kind of toxic nature of that, how that shaped the release of that, mm. how it shaped the reception of that, and how it still shapes the response to it today and how it's kind of become a swept under the rug. We forgot about that as a thing within that franchise. And I think, you know, it just sits at an interesting place. Uh, for a number of reasons. Then we're going to talk about A Simple Favor, just because I think it's a good movie. Uh, I, I like it quite a bit. It's a and uh, it's Paul yeah. Feig getting to do Hitchcock and uh, Thriller and Suspense. And What if Hitchcock had a few more jokes? Yeah. 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 And, and so I, I want to look at that. Uh, and then we're going to look at a couple of movies uh, produced by Paul Feig to kind of, again, show him as a, a I think, champion of, of diversity or opportunities for smaller voices and so we're gonna look at holler by nicole ragel and then harami by shiam mataraju uh which are both executive produced by fig but again it's him lending his name and credit to these smaller independent or international works Mm. um by minority voices and i think that's important and again it shows that allyship and him championing these moments and we haven't even got into his tv i mean when you start looking at that i mean we've got zoe's Extraordinary playlist, yeah. which he has a big hand in, I mean, and then if, just a. If you go back to Freaks and Geeks and just yeah. look at, I mean, the generation of talent that and, he brought up, so for better and worse in yeah. some cases, and then working in the he does some stuff, stuff on the Office That's as well, right. and so I mean he's really influential in TV. But we're going to primarily focus, I think, on the cinematic Paul Feig. And that's where I would go with this course. 
Very cool, very cool. I like that very much. What are you going to do with the course with this movie, Dalton? Well, this will probably be a module, too. I don't know that this is a full class, uh, but we're definitely going to be looking at funny cops because it is sort of a specific subgenre. We've talked a lot about cop fiction on this show before. Uh, I've done a couple of classes that were, I, I think Bad Boys was the last one where I really like talked about policing. This has been about the same time last year. Uh, we talked about you know policing on screen and, and the distinction. When does something become copaganda? Can you much like can you make a war film that's actually anti-war? Can you make a cop film that's not copaganda? Um, sort of looking at that lens, but we specifically key in on on funny cops. I'd finally have to find out what Keystone Cops are. I I still don't know what it is. <laughs> Is it a show? Is it a serial? It's a serial. It was a movie okay. serial, wasn't it? Yeah, movie serial. Okay. About so 20s and 30s. Yeah. Okay. So we have to look at that. Thank Maybe you, Maybe teens Justin. and 20s, actually. God, is it that old? I knew yeah. it was old, but damn. I don't think it's that old. Well, well, Arthur's doing research that I could have easily done before the show. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, I want to know. Um, yeah. uh, Let's see here. We'll also look at, of course, uh, The Naked Gun and Police mm-hmm. Squad, uh, the Zucker Brothers productions, uh, both the show and the movie. Um, I think that's really important as far as you know the modern era of cop comedy, uh, and I think those are, I think those are especially work because there's such a farcical element to those. They're they're so outside the realm of reality that I think it makes it work a little bit easier than something like say another show we'd look at Brooklyn Nine Nine, which mm-hmm. tries to, you know, have its its very special episodes and it's sort of uh, this this imagined world of uh, diverse neoliberal police officers who are you know trying to be good citizens and, and good caretakers for their community. What is that even like? I don't know. Is that real? We'd have to find out. Mm. So that's something we'd look at. We'd look at, of course, the, the classics, uh, your, your Beverly Hills cops, your hot fuzzes, uh, your miscongenialities, one and uh, armed and fabulous. Uh, I think that's the name of the sequel. I'm pretty sure that's the name of the sequel. I don't know the subtitle the sequel is. The sequel is good. It's got Regina King in it. Um, but yeah, those are, those are some of the things that we'd look at because I think that gives us a pretty good framework uh, as far as what this stuff looks like. Would we dip our toes into police academy? Maybe. I uh, that feels like there's a lot there to deal with. So we might just watch the first one. Probably look at Super Troopers too, though. I mean, it, once you start thinking, how many movies are there that are about funny cops? The answer is quite a few. Lots. There, there's more sh- movies and TV shows, but there's quite a few shows as well. Um, and, and again, I think it'd just be interesting to examine how does the nature of the depiction of the police change when you take it from a thriller or drama or action milieu and what happens when you move that over to comedy and what pieces of, you know, your sort of your more standard cop fare make it over to comedy, you know, Beverly Hills cop, that that's a pretty conventional action movie. That whole series mm-hmm. really are conventional action films outside of the shtick that they let Eddie Murphy do. And, you know, his, his co-star Judge Reinhold's got jokes too. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's not like those movies are just, funny because of eddie but they definitely skew a little bit more action whereas something like again police squad or the naked gun movies definitely skews all the way over to, to comedy and and leaves no uh realm of of realism or or seriousness on the table so again i think i think it's fun to kind of look at the the tonal diversity uh, of these these different cop comedies and again uh, hot fuzz would be fun to look at obviously it's a british movie about british police filtered through the lens of American police movies. So I think that makes it really interesting to examine. Um, and then again, Eddie's work in, in both. And I don't want to do 48 hours because he's not a cop in that movie. And that's not strictly speaking a comedy, but I think we maybe look at some of the scenes from that because it definitely paves the way for Beverly Hills cop. Right. Right. Um, <clears throat> we'd probably also take a look at Miss Congeniality and the heat just specifically as, you know, cop comedies about women. Uh, there's not many. Uh, I couldn't think of more beside Miss Congeniality in this. I'm sure I left something on the table or there's something non-American that I'm not aware of. Uh, but, you know, it's it's a long list of movies and we'd, we'd have to get kind of through them to then start asking the questions of what does this depiction do? What does it mean? Because, uh, of course, we'd have to talk about the history of police fiction, uh, both, you know, the, the dime store novels all the way up to dragnet and uh, you know kind of the birth of modern police television as we know it today um and that's why i think this is probably just a module not a full class because we got a bunch of other crap we got to deal with if we're going to talk about just comedy cops uh we've got a lot of other ground to cover for that to be a fruitful conversation i think uh what about you what are you what are you teaching 
Uh, well, before that, I just want to uh, uh, t- tap in and say yeah. uh, Les Vampires, um, the, which is a French um, cop series, might be something worth looking Les at. Les Vampires, huh? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that might be interesting, you know, to do that. Can and you tell me a little bit more about this? It, it's, it's, the gang is the vampires, and they're just they're, they're bungling cops trying to catch them all the time. They're all, they're the sort of antiheroes of this whole thing. Great. But it's something along the lines. And uh, by the way, just for a point of order for... Dates and times. The Keystone Cops first appeared in the early 19-teens. Wow. And so, yeah, it was one of the first wow. sort of American serials. Oh, I guess we could pull some Barney Five clips from uh, the Andy Griffith show, too, probably. Yeah, yeah. And, and I was, I was looking that. I was looking a little bit askance at the screen there, and I think uh, Buster Keaton had some association with them that, as well during that time. That makes sense. Uh, it seems like that's my memory. It could be lying to me. But nonetheless, uh, sounds like a lot of fun, and I would dig that class very, very much. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of ground to cover, I think. Yeah. I mean, there's different ways to be funny with cops, right? Right. Uh, a movie that we didn't talk about for this marathon that we could have is a movie called Let's Be Cops. Mm-hmm. Speak, we, got, we got one of the weigh-ins in here. That one's got uh, Damon Wayans Jr. and his uh, new girl co-star Jake Johnson pretending to be cops. That sounds fun to me. Right. That really opens the doors up. When you have two schmucks pretending to be police officers, I think that gives you a lot more ground to work with as far as letting things get really silly without maybe saying something you don't mean to say. Right. So for my class, what I think I would do is rather than construct it as a module... Um, this is what I would construct as possibilities for an assignment for a paper in a star studies class. Okay. And so we'd do star studies and we'd probably orient it around genre and think about, you know, scream queens and whatnot for horror, you know, action heroes, etc., the Western and whatnot. And when we talked about the comedy, uh, textually we would use Richard Dyer's stars, it would be kind of the cortex for the whole class. And then, um, probably looking at, um, Schatz's, uh, article out or chapter out of uh, his film genres book on the screwball comedy. Mm. And then, uh, just give them opportunities to look at different papers that the students could write about different comedy pairs, uh, beginning with Abbott and Costello mm-hmm. and how that works. And, and, I would I would want them to think about this in terms of economic or um, gender or racial or uh, uh, sexual orientation kind of questions uh, to sort of uh, rotate around how these particular comedic pairings work. Well, if you use Abbott and Costello as a framework, you can start talking about body types because that's a pretty common trope throughout right. comedy pairings. Yeah, body type is one of the things there. And also the economics is just the 30s. Sure. And uh, that, that very, very industrial stage of classical Hollywood cinema. And so I think uh, the economic policy of how uh, these two vaudeville stars sort of made their vaudeville thing work on screen, I think is pretty interesting uh, there. Uh, moving forward, I think uh, Doris Day and Rock Hudson, Pillow Talk, would be another option there. Um, they were a famous comedy pairing, and uh, Rock Hudson was gay, and uh, nobody knew. And well, bit, all of his friends knew. Everybody but, knew, but no. nobody knew. Yeah, in the celluloid closet, as I say. And so that would probably be an, an auxiliary reading that I would want a student to look at uh, if they were to write about that. And use it uh, for the paper. And then I'm going to talk about Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor uh, as a pairing. Uh, Particularly, uh, hear no evil, see no evil, because we can get into some uh, ableist stuff uh, and whatnot. I don't know if you guys know the movie, hear no evil, see no evil, but uh, one of them's blind, one of them's deaf, and they have to solve crime. They see a murder, right? Yeah. Or they witness a murder? They they are... um, Collectively. They they are both aware... One hears it and one sees it. Yes. They can't communicate. (laughs) And... uh, there's some car driving sequences and it's very very funny uh so i I think that'd be interesting and fun there uh i gotta keep it kind of straight because i think uh, again that's also a possibility so uh, heteronormativity uh julia roberts and richard Gere. um a number of films could be used a pretty woman is probably the most interesting thematically i think for an undergrad class for students to sort of wrestle with Mm -hmm. uh, those particular questions uh and then in terms of comedy more of a troop almost than um necessarily a pairing but i'm thinking about all the wayans brothers uh together and i'm gonna get you sucker yeah. Yeah. And dad. Yeah. And so I'm going to get you sucker as a great movie. Um, Wait, hold on. I always forget how who who's related to who how. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, obviously, there's Damon and Damon Jr. Uh, Marlon's they're like Damon's the, kid. Too, they're like right? the Baldwins. And it's a lab experiment. Except there's two went... generations, though. It <laughs> makes it even harder to keep it straight because you only got one generation of Baldwins to deal with. Oh, we have a tree. <laughs> We've got a family tree. The actual tree. Perfect. <laughs> All right. So Keenan, Damon Sr., Elvira, Sean, Marlon and Kim. Okay, are all siblings. Are all siblings. Gotcha. And then coach, Damon Wayne's Jr., is Damon Wayne's Sr.'s Yeah, of son. course, of course. So Major Payne's son, right? Yes, that's correct. And there's a Damien? See, I always thought Damon Marlon was... That's not nice. I didn't know about Damien. I thought Marlon and Sean were a 
they're just generation below. I as did well. too. They're just babies, younger, yeah. siblings. Yeah. Okay. See, that's what always throws me off is how much younger they are than uh, than the eldest. Yeah. Yeah. So there's one, two, three, four, five, six siblings. Because Keenan Ivory is the writer and director of "I'm Going to Get You, Sucker." Yes. Right? Yeah, it's a good movie. Yeah, it's fun. I, I like it a lot. Yeah. Um, and then, then finally, I think we would use the heat um, mm-hmm. for, for a female pairing there. Um, there are other probably better examples of those kinds of uh, women who work really, really well together. You know, I'm thinking about uh, Tina Fey and Kristen Wiig. I mean, a number of others uh, that we probably could use, mm-hmm. you know, in a contemporary moment. But because of the... Uh, the assignment, the rubric of the assignment. I will use the heat, um, perhaps somewhat against my will. Uh, there you go, uh, your syllabus. And again, I I would construct it as though that's a module uh, of assignments. So here's your possibilities. If you want to write about the screwball comedy in terms of stars, this is the options. Think about comedy pairings, and these are the various kinds of pairings which have different nuances. And that way, you know, more than one student could pick comedy, but they'd have to pick different actors, and I'd get different papers. And you yeah. know, that's I don't know. That's just me thinking like an instructor, I guess. So, there you go, friends. Your syllabus has got much longer. With that, I believe it's time to get down to business. It's business. It's business time. I don't know what you're trying to say. You're trying to say it's time for business. It's business time. Ooh, it's business. It's yes, indeed. And that business time. is analysis. Let's analyze this movie. Uh, let's <laughs> keep talking about cop comedy real quick. Cop comedy. Okay. What is it? Why, why is police brutality supposed to be a comedic set piece? Because this is not the only movie that does that by right. any stretch of the imagination. What what does what need does this service? Right, as a piece because of like bad guys tr- are bad. And it's fun to get them see them get beat up. Is that what it, is that all it is? I, mean, is, I think is it it's just... also like insider knowledge. Like we all know this goes on, uh-huh. and we don't really acknowledge it. And this is sort of you're in on the joke because you're. It's sort of like prison and and, and the bar of soap, right? Which is not funny either, but no. it's oftentimes yeah. used because we all sort of are aware that that's the thing that goes on. Sort of a societal gallows humor to help us deal with the fact that cops beat the shit out of people. Yeah, I, I think there's something going on there. Yeah, yeah. I, that's the only thing that I could think of because it is such a common trope in cop comedy that the the sort of the the funny brutality scene. When we get a couple here, right? There's the Russian oh, yeah. roulette scene, obviously, but then there's Melissa McCarthy the... manhandling Tony Hale as yes. he tries to solicit a sex worker. And there's <laughs> dropping a guy from a balcony. Yeah, yeah. not being, and that is a pretty funny. The hanging somebody over a balcony, not being <laughs> able, able to get them back, back up. up over. That's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. It's kind of a mean to girls joke though, too. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Well, they're not strong enough, or they're incompetent, or yeah, it is a little, it is a little, a little dicey there, huh? Mm-hmm. But it, it definitely seems to serve some need because it is a trope that gets peddled out so often, and right. I, I think maybe it is that insider knowledge thing, or at the very least, a I don't know, a societal gallows humor of, of dealing with a thing that makes us all deeply a bit of catharsis. Or... If you think about it for longer than a second, you go, oh boy, yeah, yeah that catharsis kind of makes it a little bit more palatable. Yeah, well, right. I think it's the same idea as um, some sort of um, transgressive sexuality of royalty in like a medieval comedy. So you mm-hmm. know, you'll have this sort of fae uh, prince mm-hmm. character played up for jokes, sure. and it's the idea that you know that sort of thing went on, and everyone just sort of didn't acknowledge it, and mm-hmm. uh, and yeah. yet they were yeah. you know like everybody knew but nobody said, and it, and it's just one of those things where we're sort of acknowledging we're all inside the joke, we all know better now, and it I think it makes the audience feel wise. Mm. Interesting, you know, and uh, there's a weird superiority it might develop. I don't know. It's a little, yeah. Who are we supposed to identify? I mean, I it, obviously I think we're supposed to identify with the police in those scenes, right? Especially when it's played for laughs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think yeah, we, yeah. we are supposed to be ah ah. The cops are on our side because we're good, uh, and we really law abiding moviegoers. Well, I think here we really get to identify with Sandra Bullock, who is very level headed. You know, in that Russian roulette scene, she is very. What What are you doing? You know, yeah. which is kind of how we're reacting as well right and they it's a couple of scenes too before she reveals that she has there were no bullets in the gun yes like it's a while later yeah when mm-hmm. that come finally comes back around yeah, <laughs> yeah but i never shoot him there <laughs> so funny that is that's pretty good yeah is uh, there are there hitting people with a phone book jokes there are yes. she yes. throws the phone book at the guy's head right. when they're interrogating but initially. i think there is another joke at some point about hitting somebody with the phone book I, i'm trying to remember if it was recently in a true crime thing i heard or whatever like you, you actually put the phone book between the baton and the head and you would hit the phone book with the baton oh. or you could just tape up the phone book and hit people with it yeah yeah it wouldn't bruise as much yeah, yeah. no okay. it's fucked up 
Yeah, it's messed up. It's not man, not all right. These, these comes from uh, real police beatdowns. This is, this is all real stuff, man. Yeah. They got all kinds of weird tricks, especially if you hear like stories about the LAPD from like the fifties and sixties. Oh boy, yeah, man. Uh, it was not Dragnet, that's for sure. Can we talk a little bit about another police trope? Then um, okay. I don't have anything to say about it, but I am I'm a little tired of the whole jurisdiction. You mm. know. Um, Whatever yeah, if that you're, is, you're going to give me any of that jurist my diction crap. Yeah, right, yeah, right up your ass. yeah, exactly. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm just, and, and that that always is sort of like uh, something that works narratively, I guess, or or plot wise. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's good for a police creates story. conflict. Yeah, kind of inherently. Right, and, and I mean, it just it seems over relied on for one thing. But, yeah. But yeah. why does it keep working? I mean, there are lots of things at work that we I, get bored with. I mean, it speaks to like an old Western impulse too, right? The the sheriff out on the frontier who has no use for the federal government, mm-hmm. right? For the the marshals coming into town. Some, you know, I mean, it's a trope that's got long legs. I right. guess is my point. It's like this weird the U.S. marshal versus the town the sheriff. sheriff. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <clears throat> it's got this weird kind of libertarian kind of mode. That totally. works in there, but it always seems to be that supremacy in terms of competence, intellect, and power always goes to the feds. I would say that's not necessarily not true. always. I think there's, yeah. yeah, there's plenty of opposite examples, right? I mean, Die Hard right. is a great example, but there's plenty of times where the feds are the incompetent ones, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's Waco, kind of Texas, the... is another example. That's just a real <laughs> one I came up with, though. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's funny to make fun of the ATF. Is all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. I mean, hey, remember that time they lost all those guns in Mexico? Ah, the Obama years. Yeah, good times. And every cop in Boston, federal agent or not, is a bumbling fool <laughs> in oh, the heat. Apparently. Other than Melissa McCarthy. Yeah. yeah, she's the only one worth her salt. and is Even the f- dogs can't do their jobs. She's a full-on maniac. Yeah. Uh, the dogs... Not None of her cases them. would hold up in court. They'd all be thrown out. That's a real way to, to hide drugs, by the way, is to use meat Food to, and, to distract the dogs. It. That's clever. Coffee. Oh, coffee's another one. I don't Coffee know about that Anything with a strong yeah. odor. Yeah. Cover scent. The dog bit, I think, was good, though. That's really She's funny. constantly belittling the dog for not doing its job. The dog gets a very funny punchline in that moment, too, where he gets to do a... <laughs> yeah. We love it. We love <laughs> yeah. it when the dog gets a joke. Yeah. Fan of that. Yeah. Uh, right. But it is a weird... It's a weird trope that, that comes up a lot. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a little played out. Yeah. I mean, that, that's sort of the primary sort of impulse of the film, is that because Sandra Bullock is a uh, FBI agent and she's a local Boston cop, they immediately throw sparks. Yeah. And uh, I'm just... I don't know. I'm kind of I mean, in real life, how, what does that look like? I mean, in real life, I think when the feds show up, the feds show up, and that's right? it. That's it. I mean, I, I don't know enough about this because I, you know, I stopped pursuing that world pretty pretty early in my education. But my understanding is, if if the feds end up on a case, it's their case, and, yeah. and you're just the, the local police become a liaison to the community yeah. um, as it's much like, as they ever are. Guess there's that screenwriter choice of how do I write this story right. in such a way that either the Feds don't get involved, or that's just the obvious right. way this has to go because it's the law of the land, right? And maybe my prejudice comes from my deep love of Twin Peaks, where immediately the feds and the local law enforcement are just pals, just buddies, just yeah. like, "Hey, man, we're going to do this together." Yeah, cooperation's always better. I am so sorry, everybody. That's well, okay. We forgive you for you know lapsing in judgment once in a while. Um, we, we get some of that in. Uh, I guess this is not a funny example at all, but Mind Hunter. Uh, there's some local cops that are really excited to uh, meet these new FBI profilers. I mean, that's, yeah. so there's there's precedent for that for the opposite or like the subversion of the trope. Mm-hmm. The, the local cop is like, "Oh, I wish I was a Fed." Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or we welcome the help. Yeah, was an idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah, trying to like, think of other examples, but yeah. Yeah, I, I just I feel like it's a bit tired. Yeah, and it. it I, I think that personal experience to film is. Part of what I'm looking for are different dynamics than what you'd expect. I and mean, here it work, it serves the function uh, right to pit two women against each other, which is something that culture and film uh, both often do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to find a reason why they can't immediately be friends and, and why they have to be pitted against each other by larger forces, which I don't know is not... That kind of works here. Mm-hmm. I, I think for the message of the movie about the, this budding friendship that they end up having, it, it does sort of work as far as, well, of course they're going to be pitted against each other because when does the uh, uh, the male hegemony not compete, force women to compete against each other? Right. So there's there's something there at the very least from like a, you know, a, a gender analysis point of view. Right. I, I do think the film is aware, though, you know, I talked about sort of gender tropes and sort of blind casting and not really doing much with it. Mm. It is aware of a particular misogyny within law enforcement, um, you know, the sort of, um, if you are too good at what you're doing, then, you know, you're arrogant and snobby or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you have to be better than them, otherwise you wouldn't have the job in the first place. Right, you yeah. know, or um, if, 
the whole dropping the crazy word all the time on Melissa Cart- McCartney's character. The what? Know, the, the the crazy word, just all uh, the time. Yeah. You yeah. know, mental in- instability mm-hmm. is it, just the other you know side of the same coin. It's you know either you're you're batshit crazy or you know you're, you're hyper competent making everybody look bad. Right. And fair. That's how they describe uh, Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. That's true. And in real life, also true. Um, but yeah, but it's different to call a. <laughs> misogynistic Catholic with a drinking problem crazy. <laughs> it's different to call him that than it is to call a woman crazy. There's just different rules, and I don't, I don't make the rules. Right. But, I mean, the whole idea of but hysteria right. itself, you yes. know, being yeah. gendered. Yeah, 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 yeah and, right. Oh, for sure. And the, Their emotions got the best of them. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. kind of thing. And this movie, I, I think, I don't know, does it find a way to navigate that? Because it doesn't really ever do anything with Melissa McCarthy other than show her as somebody who is going to let her uh, emotions like make the decisions as far as her, her enforcement of the law goes. And it works. I mean, there's that. And there's Sandra Bullock's speech where she sort of defends Melissa. Yeah. She's passionate and right. yeah, all that stuff. Well, there's a, you know, there's the moment where the that I'll, oh, I keep hating to call him, refer to him as the albino. Uh, but uh, That's sort of what the movie calls him. Craig Garrett, uh, Dan Bacadal, who yes. plays the albino special agent, you know, as he's telling McCarthy's character that she's too emotional, he's obviously vamping and getting very angry and upset and over the top, right, which yeah. is kind of that. Like, the movie is aware of it some, yeah. and so I, yeah. I, want, I want to give it props where they're due, yeah. I think, here. I think it's a lot more subtextual acknowledgement mm-hmm. and pointing out. Totally. And it's maybe something more that cake and eat it too thing, where it just yeah. gets in its own way sometimes. But I think Dustin's right. I think credit where credit's due. It knows what it's doing in that scene, especially yeah. by having... He, that guy gives an all-time great... Gives all-time great freak-out performances in general. So yeah. to have him do one is definitely underlining the joke there. In a good way, I think. Yeah. Um, Let's see. Yeah, uh, so while we're talking about Special Agent Craig Garrett, ableism's not funny. No. It's not cool. Don't do it. Don't right. do it in your movie. Don't do it in real life. I, I, I'm certain. I don't have anything to say about it other than I, that. I, I, it, it is not okay. I am not going to excuse. Okay. Uh, but I am certain mm-hmm. that the film writers thought this is a particular condition that has no real um, burden associated with it. Right? Except that it, it does. people who are albino are portrayed as villains in media constantly. Right. And just naturally othered. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, just, yeah. yeah. They're yeah. othered by society. Yes. And that's a weird screenwriter excuse to, to have for yourself. Sitting but, down there, but typing away, going, well, it's not that bad. But it's rather than doing something racial or uh, like a hunchback yeah. or something like that, some sort of physical deformity. Um, and I, I, like I said, I'm not excusing this at all, but I'm certain You're that's... You're kind of like looking at the psychology of the screenwriter. The, the psychology of the screenwriter. I'm, yeah. I'm certain the thought is, this is something we can use, and there's no harm, no foul. Yeah. Is, is, is what, I, what I assume that they well, thought again, incorrectly. I, well, again, I think it is... There's that element of satire here, right? We have these... You know, we in cop comedies we do have these kind of over the top interrogations, but these mm-hmm. take it a little, you know, a step further mm-hmm. in some of their harassment of of the criminals. Uh, we get the uh, inclusion of the uh, albino character, and they call out that trope specifically. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, they're always the villain, right? So it, it feels like there's that satirical element, but then they just didn't know how to handle it in the dialogue right. and execution. Like, I think again, the intentions were probably there, like. This is a thing action movies do, yeah, and it's bad. But then they just kind of cut their own feet out from under them, right? Right, yeah, that, that is exactly it. And and that that even if we sort of you know skirt off the wrong line again, albinism yeah. not being you know the same thing as something super ableist. Yeah. I mean, again, they're they're probably thinking ableism in degrees, yeah, you know, which I don't yeah. think is healthy or you know the most useful way to con- yeah. you know construct that. But I'm I'm certain that that's part of the calculus of. The politics of offense and mm-hmm. the politics of who we get to pick on. Um, oh yeah, which I, I I think is I don't have well, much more to say about it. Well, but I, we, we need I to guess... think about how people are constructing this so that we can better these conversations. Yeah, the only addendum I have there is like if you're ever playing the game called Depression Olympics, you're losing. Mm-hmm. Whether you're like trying to do a game of who, who can I offend the least, or you're playing a game of who deserves the most X and Y situation. In either case. You're playing a loser's game, man. Mm-hmm. You don't want to do that. That's not how we build uh, solidarity. Right. And it, I just thought it was worth mentioning. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, I yeah, think yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I also 
had something I wanted to talk about, which was a thing that I will think of if I ever can. Well, while you're thinking of that, should we <laughs> go ahead and circle back around to female friendship and uh, yeah. why it... I mean, we, we have a yeah. very different friendship than we have in uh, the last sort of female-centric f- friendship movie we watched, Barb and Star. Mm-hmm. Uh, very different kind of friendship here. Less supportive <laughs> uh, by a wide margin. Uh, but, you know, friendship is can be combative, and I think that that's okay. I think it's okay for a film to depict that, mm-hmm. yeah. even if it's, you know, we have certain, you know, gendered tropes in both fiction and society about how women interact with each other. Yeah. Um, I, I think this handles it okay as far as the wraparound goes. They, right. they become pretty supportive and, and uh, open with each other by the end of the film. Um. It, it works for me at, right. as, as far as an arc of a story goes. It is weird how sort of matter-of-factly the movie ends. It really does sort of just wrap up very quickly. Well, even, I think, McCarthy's forgiveness of Bullock in that she moment. Puts where she puts her brother in danger, right? Mm-hmm. Gets him shot. And there's a big, that, that breakup, oops, that big breakup moment that we see in rom-coms, mm-hmm. right? Where they go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. And she kind of instantly forgives her the next time she sees her when she saves her in a situation and it's just kind of water under the bridge without acknowledgement. But I think to your point, it just, that, that portion does feel like it's. Well, and that's why I think the yearbook signing is unearned. That's the one you were talking about. Yeah. Yeah. The yearbook signing where like you have a sister now, I'm like, what? What? You know, I mean, yeah, you went through a lot together and you sort of found, you know, each other's usefulness and Mm -hmm. uh, some common ground, but it it, it it does not feel earned. Yeah, you don't buy that these two become lifelong friends? I mean, I could, but the movie doesn't get me there. Gotcha. You yeah. Know? That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I feel that. I mean, that's a problem with, I think, a lot of the movies we watch. I mean, you know, Midnight Run has an easier time of it because if we're going to kind of use this moment as a sort of a look back on this marathon, right? And the Lethal Weapon movie, and uh, Lethal Weapon and The Nice Guys, we both get one, an actual series of films about the friendship, and the setup for a you know potential sequel based on these two pairs of characters becoming friends, uh, and, and then again in Midnight Run it is sort of a well it was you know strangers in the night it was nice to nice, know you yeah 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 so and I think of the four movies that truly is the most believable conclusion or outcome for yes. the oddball coupling right I agree it was cool I'm glad we got to know each other but now we must go our separate ways right I think this movie which kinda... is maybe some male machismo i can't show how much i love you bullshit if, yeah a little bit but yeah. I, it feels more realistic to me people don't I mean, always like form a lifelong friendship I, I buy a lethal weapon just because they would stay assigned to each other yeah that makes sense you know yeah there and is I, sort of that force there's yeah the bureaucratic sort of force at yeah. work there i yeah. guess there's the idea you know if you go through something semi-traumatic together yeah you're gonna have a bond yeah, sure but yeah. you're not gonna be best friends because of it Right, it I could, think, yeah, we could foster that, but not necessarily. Yeah. yeah, and I think that's kind of, and I think this film also fails because we don't have a lot of those bonding. We get a lot of stuff in the Nice Guys where they're just hanging out and kind of getting to know each other and talking, seeing each case. other on a personal level. Yeah, right. And we we get a couple of those moments here. We get the the bar scene where they get drunk together. Like, yeah, they get blackout drunk, but but that but, doesn't make friends. That makes you know amnesia. Yeah, I, I've, I got blackout drunk with a lot of people in my life, and guess what? I don't really keep up with any of those people. Yeah, no. <laughs> and so and as many times as I've said we should hang, we should do this again sometime. Very happen. rarely have I yeah. done it again. Sometime. I don't remember who they are. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> so. Uh, yeah, I, I just don't think there's that that development of that relationship on a personal level throughout the film mm-hmm. to earn what you're talking about. Yeah, and I think the Nice Guys is maybe with Nice Guys and Midnight Runner maybe the only two of this marathon that really do that that give us those moments of kind yeah. of quiet. What's your deal? Yeah, I, I guess we get maybe one or two. Well, we get a here. couple in each apartment, right? There's yeah, but that's more character development for the audience, I think, to see. Oh, this is. a even their life, their whole life is disorganized. Mm-hmm. Her whole life is kept in four boxes, mm-hmm. compartmentalized. So it's a lot more of that sort of character stuff rather than broad a, stroke development. Yeah, yeah it's putting them together. So interesting that like Melissa McCarthy stays mean to Sandra Bullock though. Like she is constantly like, "Oh my god, your life is so sad. <laughs> You're so pitiful." And it's 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 of course. I mean, the joke is of course that Melissa McCarthy's character is also a hot mess. But it, it is very funny for her to just kind of be an antagonist in this friendship, even after, like, they do become real friends. She's still pretty mean to her. Well, I I, I appreciate an antagonistic friendship. Oh, sure. <laughs> we know. Yeah, I know. We know. I've known you for a while at this point. Yeah. We, 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 we've got the bruises. <laughs> I love you guys. Oh. Yeah, you leave that phone book over there, pal. <laughs> I'll have to get payback later now. Don't hang me over the balcony. <laughs> I've been doing dips. I'm, I'm out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're feeling strong, huh? Okay. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else? I feel like I've I've covered my notes. 
Um, I don't know. We've we we are we've running. Kind of oh, I, the last thing I want to talk about was the Red Falls Killer. Oh, oh okay. Gosh, yeah. almighty, yeah, yeah. Wow. What about talk about a subplot that just they do nothing with? Yeah, Her I mean, claim to fame is she put a serial killer away, and it turns out she probably got the wrong guy. Yeah, yeah. Or she did, and like goes over the evidence and figured it out. And it was enough of an obvious thing that another detective who was not involved in the That's case right. at all, casually viewing, said, "I don't know if that guy did it." Yeah, and but I think again that speaks to you know it's the character thing of of Bullock's character being so hyper focused on getting things done, and that arrogance that the other cops allude to with her mm-hmm. that. She just missed it because she was so focused on something else. Yeah, it's a moment that's meant to humble that character. But yeah. it does just leave us going, oh, so there's an innocent person in jail and for the rest of their lives? Also, and we're not going to get them out of them, uh, get them out of the clink in this movie? Yeah. Well, I mean, they, they, they put it up do. for review. Right? Yeah. Kind of, oh, do they? I yeah. There's a line at the end. She you know, tells the the boss that they need to reopen the case. Oh. It's like, I don't feel very good about that. Yeah, but you're going to feel bad like, about that for a while. Was the other killers out here for the last year? Doing uh-huh. work? Uh-huh. <laughs> or was he just like hiding out also, waiting for it to I'm cool pretty, off? I'm pretty sure if the FBI put the wrong serial killer behind bars, they would probably bury that case. Uh, that would make them look really bad. <laughs> yeah. I don't think you get to reopen it after you uh, fuck it up. I don't I don't yeah. I don't know a lot about uh criminal investigation. I was I was wondering the logistics of what does that look like. Hey, uh, there's a mountain we're of sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Though that being said, I don't know if you guys saw the recent news. Um speaking of wrongful incarcerations and whatnot, the West Memphis three, um uh, famously, yeah. uh the uh was a chief of police at the West Memphis Police Department resigned this week um, after evidence was uh, reviewed and there was plenty of exculpatory evidence even at the time. And his resignation was not directly tied to that, but it happened the same day as that information was released. So, you know. I guess that would be the thing is how badly did they miss the mark? Right. Was it just like, but obviously if it's, Melissa McCarthy sitting on her couch reading the newspaper and watching the news reports. Going, I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It seems yeah. like a pretty big mistake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or maybe there's you know something in the trial that came up, but Yeah. But yeah, wrongful incarcerations, not funny. Um give away no. the innocence project. Yeah. But hey, and maybe that's where we'll we'll go out because truly we are running into the problem we always run into, which is it's hard to analyze comedy. I feel uh, like we got some fun with this one though. We did, yeah. We got some some ground laid, but yeah, go get money the innocence project. Uh, I think you can like Give specifically to uh, the, their work in your your region, your mm-hmm. province, state, whatever. I guess it's a U.S. centric organization. I believe so, uh, but I'm pretty sure you can donate specifically to your state's Innocence Project. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do that. So there you go, dear listener. Let's render a verdict. Shelf or trash for the heat? Go, Dalton. Nah, it's trash. I mean, I don't not not an aggressive trashing. No, I'm not mad at the movie or anything. But it's it's pretty. The, everybody that's involved in this has done better work. Yeah. So you can probably skip this. What do you say, Arthur? Ditto. I also say ditto. There you go. Um, double dittos, and yeah. Moving right along, then. How Last they... movie of the year, going right in the dustbin. How do we have a conversation kind of with our friends online, Dalton? Of course it's my turn. Well, if you liked The Heat and want to tell us why, you can email us, goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, tell us all your thoughts on Sandy, because I'm on my way to see her. Um, that's not true. But, you know, feel free to let us know what you think. Good trash. I was doing, oh, tell me all your thoughts on God. Yeah, you're looking I at mean, me. I mean, like I, I know that song, but I did not how you got from A to B to J. Don't worry about it. Okay. You're, hey, hey, Dustin, you're asking too many questions. Okay. Just go with it. Galaxy Brain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com for those emails. You can also follow us on Twitter at goodtrashmedia if you're already on that hell site. Uh, we're on other <laughs> social medias, but that's the only one we really keep up with. Um, you can also uh, rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your, your pod platform of choice. That would be cool. Maybe on Spotify someday. Nothing against the Swedes, except for everything. Um, that's But it has nothing to do with why we're not on Spotify. Uh, but again, rate, review, subscribe. It helps an algorithm somewhere do something. Uh, we, we like it when those things happen. Uh, also, if you want to get a uh, dealer's choice, a sort of curated selection. We're not movie. We're not putting up a new movie every day of the month. But uh, you can give us some money over at patreon.com forward slash GTM, and our, our intrepid producer, Arthur, will send you uh, a curated selection based on your tastes. Uh, it's a pretty cool way to get new movies uh, quarterly, and uh, you know helps us pay our web hosting fees. But that's what you need to know about social media. Oh, I, I guess uh, one last thing. I If you uh, want to go check out our, our old pal, Caleb Masters, 
late oh, yeah. of this show. His uh, program, The Cinematropolis, just did a Matrix retrospective, which I was, of course, a guest on, and uh, will be also, by the time you're hearing this, you'll also be able to hear an episode about Matrix Resurrections. So, yeah, and I was just on there talking uh, Spider-Man. Oh, you got to go on the Spider-Man episode? Yeah. Oh, cool. So, well, there you go. If you want to hear more Arthur and myself, go check out The Cinematropolis. Uh, they're on all the pod platforms. You can hear Arthur talk about Spider-Man and me talk about The Matrix. And truly, what more do you want? Arthur loves Spider-Man. I love The Matrix. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. You should go check those things out. Uh, go go support Symmetropolis and other independent podcasts. Very cool. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Um, Arthur, what are we doing next? Well, uh, we're going to wrap up our year, as we always do, with a self-congratulatory reflective look back at the odd year that was 2021. That's right. It's the Shelvies. Oh, let's all go to the Shelvies. Oh, let's all go to the Shelvies. So you don't have any movie homework, but you keep watching anyway, and we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid.